something stinks. As you heard earlier in worship, I recently recorded a cover of Bob Marley's No Woman No Cry, accompanied by a photo and video montage honoring the many black lives who have been lost in the struggle against white supremacy, as well as those who have fought and continue to fight. It was an urgent and necessary thing for me to do as I confronted my own pain and anguish and sadness and frustration and anger, frankly, over the killings of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, and George Floyd. And as I reflected on the words of the song, I began to think about the themes that Prophet Bob Marley was underscoring. Giving comfort to and centering a woman in the narrative when he says, no woman, no cry. Dear little darling, don't shed no tear. Honoring the memories of his people. I remember when we used to sit in a government yard in Trenchtown and linking past, present, and future. In this great future, you can't forget your past. My feet is my only carriage, so I've got to push on through. And by what could only be spirit, as I reflected on these words, I began to see parallels in another familiar song, which is our anthem today, Mary, Don't You Weep. This song references the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus from John 11, which was our scripture reading from today, and has strikingly similar thematic elements to No Woman, No Cry. Again, giving comfort to and centering women in the narrative. Oh, Mary, don't you weep. Tell Martha not to moan. Honoring the memories of the people. Don't you know Pharaoh's army got drowned in the Red Sea? Reminding us of the link between past, present, and future. If I could, I surely would. Stand on the rock to receive power like Moses stood. In the moments before Jesus is to perform this great miracle in this song, the songwriter wants us to know these things. Take comfort. Remember God has done it before. Know that God will do it again. And I have to say, Middle Family, that when I had previously read or heard the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, I was so caught up in the miracle that I missed the message. And so today I hope to share the message that I believe is for such a time as this that I draw from this text. Something stinks. Our text from John 11 is so rich in nuance that I can't do it justice in just one sermon. But here are the points that I want to focus on today. The writer begins by telling us that Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, all of whom are beloved by Jesus, gets sick and dies. Jesus encourages his disciples to go with him to Judea, where Lazarus has been laid to rest, so he can resurrect Lazarus. His disciples remind him that the last time they were in Judea, the people tried to stone him, but Jesus is resolute in the decision. After hearing his resolution, Thomas, one of his disciples, encourages the remaining disciples to accompany Jesus on this trip, even if it means to their death. Somebody would say Thomas is a ride or die kind of a guy in present day terms, but you know, it's a story for another day. <laughs> At any rate, this coalition of fringe folks with their Afro-Semitic leader, this posse, this crew, makes their way to the tomb of Lazarus and they get there four days after the body has been dead. Mary, Martha, and a host of other mourners are there at the tomb. Jesus is deeply moved by their grief, so much so that he gives them comfort and he too weeps. He then asks that the stone in front of the tomb be removed. Martha insists that the stench of the body is too strong, but Jesus insists so that the glory of God may be revealed. He calls Lazarus forth and tells the people to unbind him and let him go. But the story doesn't end with the miracle, for this miracle sets into motion a series of events that will lead to the assassination of Jesus. Indeed, not long after this story in the Bible, Jesus, this proclaimer of the good news of God's love, would make his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, 
be crucified, die, and rise again for the children of God. So that's the summary of this story, this very complex story. But now a question. What if America is Lazarus? What if America is Lazarus? What if America has gotten sick with racism and has died? What if the self-evident truth that all men are created equal, didn't say women, and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, what if that truth was a stillborn truth, delivered dead on arrival in a nation that slaughtered First Nation peoples, enslaved Africans, and did not give women their due? What if America is Lazarus? What if, as Lazarus lay dead in the tomb for four days, America has been dead in her tomb of racism for 400 years. But what if this is the moment of revival? What if this is the moment of resurrection? What if brown bodies like Jesus's and those of his disciples, his friends, his system disruptors, his movement allies, are sent to save America, to call America out of her grave, to loose her from her grave clothes, to unbind her and let her go? What if we, who dearly love America and are grieved by her death, are uniquely called and positioned in this moment to stand and speak directly into the darkness? America, come forth. What if we are the ones who are called to do this revival work, this resurrection work? And make no mistake, this resurrection work is conflict work. Jesus and his disciples were not welcome in Judea when they went back for Lazarus' resurrection. So too it is for us. Doing this work will put us out of favor and in harm's way. There will be some places where we won't be welcome and some people into whose company we will not be invited. We will be unpopular at some dinner tables and at odds with some family members. But that's okay because as for me and my house, we will do the work anyway. This resurrection work is comforting work. We are called to call out into the darkness of the tomb or the darkness of the womb as it may be, as activist Valerie Cower says. But as we call out, we must remember to comfort those grieving with us and call out to them to make sure they are okay and that we're all okay together. Call out to those impacted the most by the consequences of America's deadly racism, those on the margins. As Jesus comforted those at the tomb, so too must we comfort each other. In this time middle, it's okay for us to be angry. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to not be okay. Jesus, even though he knew Lazarus would rise again, wept with Mary and Martha. And so too we, who believe in freedom, who dare to dream dreams of a better day, who know that day is coming, we can still be righteously outraged and saddened by the humanitarian crisis that is racism. And we can groan with creation, as Paul says in Romans 8.22, for the manifestation of the miracle of justice. Finally, this resurrection work is courageous work. In our story, Martha doesn't want Jesus to roll away the stone because she does not want to smell the decaying body of her brother. Isn't that something? Lord, I believe you can raise my brother from the dead, but I don't want to smell the smell, so maybe don't do it. Lord, you can do miraculous things, but uh, I don't want to be made uncomfortable in the process. And before we judge Martha too harshly, we must admit that we know some Marthas, and maybe we too have been a Martha at one point or another. Lord, I want to pray more, but I don't like waking up early. That's my Martha moment. Or, I believe in affordable housing, just not in my neighborhood. Or, Lord, I believe in racial justice, but please don't offend my white fragility in the process. Not everything that is faced can be changed, Brother James Baldwin reminds us. But nothing can be changed until it is faced. 
And so we have to face the stench because resurrection is stinky business. It isn't the pristine perfume story we have been led to believe that it is. It is messy, it is gory, it is smelly. But the stench is necessary so as Jesus said, we may see the glory of God. Jackie has preached about glory, the Hebrew feminine Shekinah, the neighborly glory of God we find in the Old Testament. But the word glory here is the Greek word that is doksha or dokshan, which is also feminine, which means the inherent intrinsic worth, according to Joseph Thayer. And so if we want to see this inherent intrinsic worth, this glory of God, then one day when that glory comes, that inherent intrinsic worth will apply as much to black, brown, women, gender non-conforming, and LGBT bodies as much as it does cisgender white males. One day, when that glory comes, it will apply as much to the poor as it does to the rich and middle class. It will apply to the neurodiverse and differently able as much as it does to those who are normal, whatever that means. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 8.18, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time can't be compared to the glory which shall be revealed. In other words, the glory is greater than the gory. Where we are going in this struggle is greater than the struggle we are in to get to that place. The resurrection of America is gonna be greater than the stench of America's corpse. Middle Church, I encourage us to take comfort. Remember God has done it before. Know that God will do it again. I encourage us to make our lives resound with revival music. As with No Woman No Cry and Mary Don't You Weep, center the feminine, the doksha, the doksha, the, the glory of God, the inherent intrinsic worth in each one of us. Give comfort, take comfort. Honor the memories of the people. Say their names. George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Tony McDade, Rayshard Brooks, those are just some of the names, and we're only halfway through the year. Do not forget to link past, present, and future. Use the past to give us strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, as the hymn says. Every struggle for equality and humanity has been hard, but those struggles were successful because those who were in the struggle were willing to ensure that the present suffering of the stench of death could not be compared to the glory of what was to come. And indeed today, something stinks. It is the stench of buildings burning in Minneapolis, Atlanta, and all over these United States. It is the stench of the pavement that filled George Floyd's lungs as he uttered his dying words, I can't breathe. It is the putrid smell of gunpowder and exhaust fumes filling the air that Ahmaud Arbery inhaled when he was hunted and gunned down by white supremacists. It is the smell of fried fast food in Atlanta in the air that Rayshard Brooks inhaled before he was shot to death by a police officer. It is the rotting smell of the Skittles in Trayvon Martin's pocket, who by the way would have just been 25 years old this year. It is the stench of blood pouring out of Philando Castile's chest after he followed all the rules during his traffic stop and was still shot to death by police. It is the leathery smell of a Bible being held upside down in the hot, hateful hands of a bigoted tyrant and you know who I'm talking about. It is the stench of tear gas filling the nostrils of peaceful protesters. But it is also the smell of sticky ink on letters to elected officials demanding justice. It is the smell of markers meeting thick poster boards to make signs that read Black Lives Matter. I can't breathe. We are done dying. 
It is the salty smell of hot feet, weary from a day of marching in cities and towns across this land, voicing our indignation at this moment, at every moment of brutality against black bodies in this country. It is the stench of revival.